Podcasting from the doing the most capital of the world. By way of New York, New York, via the internet. This is Bagels and Plantains, a podcast by, for, and showcasing every day, round the way, but always dope as fuck, multifaceted people of color doing the damn thing and doing it well. Every week, we and our guests will be sharing the blueprint and the stories that explore the intersectionality of being black, brown, bothered, and unbothered while thriving and navigating their passions, spaces, and communities. I'm your host, Deidre Idehan. And I am your host, Christina Torres. And here we go. Our guest for today's pod is Robert Newman. Rob, as we affectionately call him, is a 2014 Morehouse grad from Little Rock, Arkansas, who's currently working in New York City as an AVP at Newberger Berman on the financial planning and analysis team. Outside of the office, he spends a majority of his time working as a freelance artist, doing exhibitions and galleries across NYC, and serving the community through various mentoring and arts-based nonprofits. Rob is also the co-founder of Words on White, which is an arts and advocacy initiative, which I hope he'll be talking a little bit to us about, and Silent Renaissance, an organization dedicated to bringing people together and promoting Black art. Welcome to the pod, Rob. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to be talking to you guys. Thank you for the invite. Definitely, definitely. Whenever we have, we hear of interesting people, we like to, to feature them and really get to know a little bit more about them and share them with our listeners. Yes, amazing people. And yep. I trolled your Instagram and I was just like, he is yeah. doing the most. And it makes me so happy when people are doing the most. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and doing it well. And doing it well. So uh, stop, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. And you're 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 clearly a Renaissance man in your own right. You're doing all this stuff plus corporate life which I think is so interesting, right? Because you meet a lot of creatives and they have their fingers in everything because it's kind of like everyone's multifaceted and why not? If you have the resources, you should be able to, you know, spread the love, spread the creative love. But like people just sometimes assume or maybe us in corporate assume that we don't have this creative bug or we can't do both. Like we got to be corporate now. We don't got time to not only be creative, but also extend that to the community as a way of educating, you know, the community and giving people a space and experience to also use their creativity. So how did that all happen? How did we become, how did we go through all these lanes? Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a broad question. So like, take it, take it step by step. Yeah, take it step by step. I definitely get asked some form or some version of this all the time. It definitely, I think for me, it always started from, I guess, my beginnings. I've always been very, very interested in the arts. There's a lot of artists in my family and a lot of people that are just good with their hands. So growing up, I was always drawing or painting or in a band, so I did music. I was one of those like nerds growing up in high school. <laughs> and then as I grew up and started working in corporate or I started working in finance, the thought finally occurred to me, especially being in New York around so many museums, galleries, just eclectic people, that I don't think there's any rules to this, you know? And once I figured that part out, it all just blends together a lot easier. Wow. 
I think that's something that's so interesting because we all have a day job in addition to what we do after five or after whatever time we get out or on the weekends. And it's really important for, at least for me, and I believe for Christine as well, that what we do outside of work also helps to fuel us in work. Is that something that also happens or also fuels you? Definitely. Yeah, I think that's probably like the best part for me. A lot of times when I get the question, oh, how do you make it balance? Where do you find the balance? What's work-life balance? <laughs> I'm always laughing because the people who tend to ask that, I'll double back and ask, well, do you have any hobbies or passions? And generally the answer is, well, no, I only go to work. And it's like a life that is all work is technically unbalanced, right? Mm, true. So for me, it was just about finding the things that I was passionate about and really pouring just as much energy into those as I do on the desk. And once that, that thought process or that habit got locked in, art, I think just like the podcast for you guys, keeps me, keeps me filled up and lets me know like there's two sides to every coin or there's, again, everybody's a little bit more dynamic. And it helps me to put a lot of things in perspective at work. It helps me to remember that there's more than just my job or just my my tasks or my identity there and i hope that i think that helps me just moving forward there that's awesome so let's talk a little bit about your passion so i feel that there's so much that you do mm-hmm. looking at your instagram talking to mutual friends of ours you are a visual artist mm-hmm. you are passionate about financial literacy mm-hmm. in black communities So let's talk about a little bit of those passions. How did you cultivate your visual artistry and how do you give back to the community through that? The visual arts part I feel like is a little bit of the easiest because that one, unlike any other job I do, I feel like I just have to show up to work. Like as long as I put like a paintbrush or anything in my hand and like sit in front of the canvas, the painting generally takes care of itself. So as long as I keep painting, like I'll get the inspiration from somewhere or something to pop up that I'm really, really interested in putting on canvas or putting on, putting actual colors to. So that part, again, is kind of self-sustaining. The giving back part, I think I've learned to be a little bit more intentional with. And it always just is sparked by the question, like, what was important for me growing up? What were those key moments that really, you know, ended up defining me or was a pivot for me in my personal journey. So in terms of giving back, I'm always extremely involved in mentoring programs because if it wasn't for my mentors, like I never would have went to Morehouse or I'm in a fraternity, I never would have became an alpha if it wasn't for the people that were around me. Mentors are important for setting goals or helping you to right size big dreams because sometimes we even think too small of ourselves. So anytime I can be involved in a mentoring or teaching capacity, I am. Some of the other like facets of giving back, I think I heard you mention the financial literacy. For me, that just stems from giving back what I have, right? A lot of times I talk to my friends or people that I ask me questions about, well, how can I give back or what things can I do for the community? It's like, well, you have to pour from your cup that's, that's full. So I'm not going to go outside and give people medical advice. because I don't think it would be the most useful, but, you know, I paint pictures that make people happy and I know thinking to about a dollar. So those are things that I try my best to to circulate amongst other people. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I think that's what's beautiful about 
just this generation coming up, you know, whether you're a millennial or, you know, before that or after that, right? It's just like, oh, the way I'm going to give back is that, like, no one's hoarding knowledge anymore. Like, no one thinks it's cute. No one thinks it's helpful. There's all this, there's a bevy, there's abundance. Like, there's no reason for us to be hoarding knowledge. And the only mm-hmm. way we're going to get more people more people supporting us is if we support other people. Like, it's just, I just feel like it's inevitable for us. And I feel that this generation coming up is just like, nah, I'm on, everyone's on. I don't understand, like, why we wouldn't operate this way. And I can, I can see that as, like, a parent through your Instagram. So not only are you doing the art stuff, you're doing the financial literacy stuff. You're also, like, curating and hosting events and giving mm-hmm. people a space to, to express themselves either to come see your art or come showcase their art or just be around that energy and mm-hmm. that own little like peer mentorship. How yeah. does that, how does that like fit in? A, how do you, I understand you said work-life balance and we were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. We were like, that doesn't exist, right? I think it's more <laughs> like a, a work-life blend and it's what you're willing to make a priority. I like that. Yeah, you know? a work-life blend, that's beautiful. It's what you're willing to make a priority. And I mean, there's many times, you know, Using a little work time mm-hmm. to podcast, <laughs> or using the conference space because let's face it, I don't have a I don't have a conference room in my apartment building. So mm-hmm. you know, after hours, you know, after work is done, we get things done. How did the whole curating event thing like come along? How much time does that take? It definitely takes a little extra time sometimes, but other times it happens a lot more organically. It came about similar to I think like the financial literacy or me mentor and I, I kept asking myself like what are the things that I do so anytime I'm with my friends or hanging out on the weekends at least once or twice every weekend I end up having five or six friends on there and it's not the same friends it's just different people that are passing through Harlem or passing through New York or we might be in transit to some other place or venue and after a while I said to myself like okay people want to see my heart why not start inviting people over and there's other people with art. I feel like I do so many different things, like whether it's in the community or even just taking my art to a gallery show that it took me so long when I first moved to New York to figure out how to do those things. The curating part for me is bridging that gap for other artists or bridging that gap for other creators to show them again and again and again that there's space for you. And that space is really about like how you created or where you created that. Yeah, that's dope. That's really dope. So what kind of art, DJ mentioned visual art, but like what mm-hmm. kind of art, what kind of art do you do? And what is it, what is usual the context? Or do you just like mm-hmm. go with the flow? A lot of times I like to say I go with the flow, but my, a lot of my work are the things that I'm generally most interested in is portraits. And if it's a portrait, it's generally a, a face of a, a black image, a black artist or something that I think is just provocative. There's something I think important about being able to preserve that image of a black person, I think in a beautiful way that makes people stop and kind of wonder what's behind this face or what expression, you know, what inspired this expression. Basquiat is another one of my favorite artists. And I like to do some abstract work kind of in that style. I'm very interested in a lot of the writing and stuff that he did too. So every now and then I get to, I get to, partake in a, in a, a dabble with some writing. So got a little bit of poetry and stuff. But yeah, a lot of it is inspired by 
a lot of portraits, a little bit of ab abstract work. And a lot of it is inspired by things just black culture, black music, black music especially. I love hip hop, R&B, all that stuff. And yeah. uh, black media, <laughs> TVs, movies, like the stuff that we kind of, I feel like everybody grew up watching. That's dope. And I think one of the things that really struck me and was one of the reasons I reached out was because you seldom see men who are this multifaceted and so open about it. So one of the things that really resonated with me was that you are a Morehouse man. You mm -hmm. are an alpha, but you also dabble in poetry. You dabble in visual artistry. You dabble in financial mm -hmm. literacy. You dabble in travel. You kind of embody all of the, the aspects of you without being boxed into this perceived notion of what is masculine. Talk mm -hmm. to me about how you got to that point or what actually, what spaces or who helped you feel more able to be yourself and not confined by typical ideals of masculinity? Mm. That's a really That's a good question. question. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sometimes I'm deep. Sometimes I'm deep. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, look, my pants is so masculine. Even though, like, if you look at it, you're like, oh, whatever. But it, it's yeah. true. I mean, when I thought, like, if you think a man in finance, I'm also not thinking someone who does portraits, visits, like, botanical gardens, travels, cultivates art, you know, you know, it seems like they're totally, not only totally different worlds mm. in, industrially, but they're totally different worlds in, in, like what she says, in that gender box, in that masculinity versus femininity, like versus, like, that's not what you see. It seems to be, you know, men are usually perceived as like one lane, one lane focused, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely want to know that. I want to know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. That's actually like the first time I've been asked like that. And it, yeah, it's a good question. I think it really, it took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time. It was definitely an evolution for me. And kind of each one of those things that you said was where each one developed me in a certain way. And I remember before going to Morehouse, the thoughts that I had in high school about what Morehouse was. Like when my mentor told me, like, it's an all-guy school in Atlanta, I thought, that's, you know, <laughs> throw that shit away. Like, I'm not going, obviously. <laughs> why? Like, why in, my, in God's name like, would I want to go to a school with only men? And they tried to, you know, well, Stone is right there, you know, it'll be great, it'll be fine. And once I actually visited campus and saw, like, how close Stone was, I kind of was like, okay, fine. I'm not, I might be able to do this. <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> but once I got there, that was, like, step one. Because as soon as we got there, it was, again, the, they took us through, like, this new student orientation. It was, like, a week and a half long process just with the freshman class and all these ridiculous ceremonies of brotherhood and togetherness and all that cheesy shit that you would see on TV, right? But they actually did it. And after a while, it started kind of kicking in. And oh, wow. I was always like the very, I'm always a little bit more blunt than most people appreciate it sometimes. And being at all male school obviously means there's a huge, huge spectrum of like what black masculinity is. So within that first week and a half, it, within a dorm room, you know, it's a bunch of 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds that haven't been out the house before, and now we're just stuck there together. So we used to be up in the dorm, like, till 2 and 3 in the morning, like, really sitting down having the face with each other. 
bringing in guys that were like homosexual and acts and like, well, who are you? How did this happen? Did you decide to be gay or were you born this way? And this is all within like the first two or three days of school. Oh, y'all dove in. We, yeah, we ripped the band-aid right on. Yeah, that's refreshing because you would not think that. And I think that's probably the whole idea, right? Or probably around Morehouse or these all one gender schools is that everybody kind of feels like you can be yourself. Yeah. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, because I mean, this is one of those things that it's like, I have to live with you guys now. Before, if I wanted to be ignorant, it was, you know, it was a little bit easier. But now, like, I see you. <laughs> like, if there's a problem with me, like, I'll have to ask you first because you're my neighbor. So best I get to know you. Right. Best I started kind of digging into that. So that was one of the first times where, again, like the sexuality thing really got dismissed where, okay, that is a masculinity. That is just part of the individual identity. And like that part is especially unique for each person. Then when I got to the finance part, that was, that's another, you know, cottage industry of masculinity, like you guys mentioned. It became all these people around me talking about, oh, did you see the game? Did you see this? Did you see LeBron just do the such and such and such and such? I played sports growing up, but I never watched sports. And I don't care. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> like, not even in the slightest. So anytime like my friends talk about this, it's always like, eh, yeah, I know LeBron is like a good basketball player. Like I know who all the major teams are, but I, I, I think I've seen like one and a half games of this playoff so far. I couldn't tell you which football team like won this last Super Bowl, really. It would take me a while. <laughs> Don't worry. It's the same one that's won the past billion years. No, no, no. Philly won this year. Philly won this year. Oh, they did? Yeah, really? I, I remember mm-hmm. that. See? Look at you. But anyway. But anyway. I, just I just assumed it was the past. I gave up on football. Yeah. Before but, Kaepernick, I gave up on football. But well, I just remember like being at work and again just thinking to myself, why is this the only conversation that like people are having? Like, I hate Mondays. Look at this weather outside with nothing past. And I'm like, this is this not enough to me. <laughs> so I started finding people that, okay, somebody that enjoys reading or somebody that does enjoy art or somebody that enjoys the things that I'm more interested in. And then it also came from we were talking about work-life balance again or work-life blend, it became like the people that I worked with and dealt with outside of work that helped fashion that whole concept of masculinity as well. Because dealing with some of the different arts initiatives that I worked on, I ended up talking to like a lot of people that were dancers and in the Broadway community or like the nonprofit space. And those identities tend to be a lot more complex and nuanced than what we tend to see in finance. And as I started doing that, like in my professional career, it started giving me again that wider view of like what identity is and how much liberty each person should have on their own. So I mean, I feel like it just it, it came with time and it came with me just really getting comfortable with like, okay, this is who I am, this is what I like to do, and I'm not really concerned about what other people think. That's awesome, and I think you are a little bit younger than us, and. I feel like it took me a little bit longer to get comfortable in who I am as a person. To, so to see people who are a little bit younger than us, who are in, like I said, specifically men who are in hyper-masculine industries, able to be their more authentic self is so refreshing to me. So I really yeah. appreciate it. It's something that resonated just in the movements that you've made and the things that you do. 
So I do want to pivot quickly to mm-hmm. the initiatives that you've done. I want to talk about mm-hmm. Words on Whites okay. and uh, Silent Renaissance. So whichever one strikes your heart first, talk okay. to me about. Yeah, Words on White, I'll start with. It's, a, it's the old of the two. And funny enough, Words on White started at, uh, was inspired by Morgan Stanley. But yeah, this thing got it was, it was a project. This is now like this will probably be its last summer before it turns into a different initiative. But Words on White started in the summer of 2016. And at the time I was finishing up my rotational analyst program in Morgan Stanley. I was working in a group that sat down in the financial district. So we were right across the street from like South Ferry, you know, right on Wall Street. So very deep mm-hmm. in the heart of like traditional finance culture. And I'm not sure if you guys remember summer 2016, but that's when all the shit hit the fan in terms of like Black Lives Matter. Mm, yes, yes. So we saw Philando Castile die and Alton Sterling die and all the general confusion that was in the media surrounding like Black bodies dropping. And I moved to New York from the South and I don't have any family up here. All the people that I know have been like in networks or communities or professional whatever is that have just been cultivated and developed over the years. So as this stuff has happened, I remember kind of walking up the street frantically talking to my grandmother, talking to my mother, like, what should I do? I am a black man in America and I know for sure because when I walk out of the office, most of the time my coworkers don't recognize me. Mm. what should I do? They didn't have any answers. They kept saying, well, just calm down. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. I'm like, there are a million monitors in this building and people are dying every day. (laughs) It's hard to calm down. But I got you. I hear you. I I see what y'all are saying, right? I just remember being in my office and the people that I worked with were what I'll call silent supporters. You know, they wouldn't tell me that they voted for Trump, but they said everything else. And they were generally pretty talkative folks. But those two deaths in particular, because they happened so quickly back to back, it seemed like for a week, the office was very eerie and quiet and nobody said anything until the Friday after July 4th, where there was like a mass shooting or some police had died in Texas. Then all of a sudden the office was in the upper again, like people are talking, people are like very verbose about the subject. And I thought like, why was it that incident that got people invested as opposed to the two prior? After that, like, I took a week off of work. You know, I saw this meme or podcast or something that said, call it in black. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'll call it in for mental health for a week. Because this shit was, you know, kind of traumatic. I sat down and spoke with some of my friends, some artists, gathered a bunch of people in my house and just sat there for maybe like four or five hours talking, crying, whatever, venting about what had happened the week before. And through that, I got connected with this performer, actor, director, extraordinaire that was interested in starting these social advocacy shows. And the first one was supposed to be called Words and Light. He wanted to resurrect texts from different civil rights movements, social activist movements, and bring them forward to instruct on some of the things that we can do today. And he reached out to me because he found out that I was interested in these things and passionate about the whole whatever. And he wanted somebody to be the live painter at the event. 
So what we ended up doing was putting together this show that was supposed to incorporate all those different things. And I was there, I was painting throughout the situation. We had a lot of actors come up, perform, do these monologues of these speeches from Obama to Beyonce to Kendrick Lamar to Frederick Douglass to you know, the very wide range of, of movements that were covered. And at the end of it, we kind of debriefed and said, wow, we kind of made a difference. We, made space for people and we gave people that platform to actually react because the thing that started beforehand was i was stuck in a room of silence and the thing that we kept going back and forth over like the past three years of us working on this thing was what happens when artists who are traditionally the voice of i guess people like of thoughts emotions just any of those intuitions that are going on, like art reflects life, we kept asking ourselves, well, what happens when artists are silent? How does that make people who generally aren't creative or expressive feel? Wow. So we made it our mission for the past three years to create spaces for people to have those conversations and to be able to express themselves in a safe way and in a brave way and to work through all those different things and realize that, again, the creativity part is how you can transfer some of the some of that angst. So that was, that was words on life. Wow. I mean, I, I remember specifically, I don't remember if it was, I don't think it was 2016. I might've been 2017 that there was a week in which I had a, another a black woman who worked with me. And I think she was on vacation that week. And it was a week in which there was another black death. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in the office by myself and being like, wow, I actually don't have anybody to talk to about this. Like I feel like life is going on, like nothing has happened. And all I can think about is who is next? Who do I know? Who could this have been? Like all of the people that I interact with in my family, my friends, myself, this could have been me. And it just felt like life was going on at work mm-hmm. as opposed to people just stopping to think like, wow, this is a very traumatic experience that continues to happen on a very regular basis mm-hmm. uncomfortably. And mm-hmm. just feeling very isolated. So the fact that you took that feeling of solitude and then channeled it into building a community in which artists could speak to each other and speak for people who might not have had the words or the ability to is so it's so moving. Yeah, I think what's so funny is that, you know, you don't I just find it so strange and I used to get so upset all the time every time, you know, it'd be another week of either, you know, mass amounts of cop on black violence or killings or you know black and brown trans people like just someone was always being marginalized and killed and it was just like is it really really it's business as usual i'm gonna staple these papers together like nobody really gives a fuck like i can't even think like this means shit to me i just want to leave like why am i even here like yeah it's just like no one's gonna say anything yeah Nothing. And it's like, these are human lives. Like, it has nothing to do with, and it's like with anything and everything that happens. You're like, this is not for people who don't have a creative outlet or like you said, don't have a hobby or don't have another passion. It's like, how can, it's like, you're just really going to dig back into work. Like, how could you possibly even function sometimes? Like, I I remember like, (laughs) me and Deidre could attest to this. I, I just felt like, even the sight of a white person would just infuriate me. And now I have mm. to sit, I have to sit in a room, in a, in a building 
when that's all I see. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> fuck out of here. No, I don't want to do anything you have to say today. I'm yeah. Gonna, like, it's just, it's just so mind boggling that it's just like, all right, back to whatever we're doing. And it I feel is. like, I feel like we can all say that and we can all do that. Like there's many times, like, you know, when I'm working on my side hustle stuff and I hear things like this and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't like, it's like, is the money, money is not the motive. I've got to come mm. from, a, I've got to come from a higher place right now because right now I want to stop anything and everything because I can, you know, you can almost feel selfish if, yeah. you're, if you're aware, if you're self-aware about like what's going on around you, you're like, nah, I can't even, but at the same token, you're right. If you're not creating these outlets, if you're not creating this art, if you're not pushing forward for the sake of everyone, then you're like, it's, it's for not like it's just such a catch it's such a catch when you put it's beautiful I'm glad you took your you called in black called out black you called out black oh call yeah called out black yeah I told him like legit I told him like it's been a definite family I'm right. not coming back until ooh that's a great movement what if every day every day someone died if everyone was killed because of police brutality or there was some mass racist, religious, gender <laughs> genocide. We was like, so there has been a death in the family and no mm. black people showed up for work. No brown people showed up for work. No women showed up for work. We just no wouldn't work. Trans people <laughs> showed up for work. Would you, it would just be, but there's been a death in my family. Yeah. Um, bereavement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was because crazy. For the people who could do that. I mean, obviously, there's people who can't, you know, there's people who don't have those those luxuries, but. But I, I think it just, it, 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 it's amazing. It reinforces the importance that sometimes you have to take care of yourself, right? And mm-hmm. there are times in which you're in spaces in which people might not understand how things affect you. Like, I, I remember specifically the church shooting in Charlotte. And something about that resonated so deeply with me because it was you're going to a place of worship where you should be comfortable, you should be laying down your burdens and to be mm-hmm. to see people gunned down in a space like that. It it really affected me deeply. But those are two things you can't talk about at work. You can't talk about religion and you can't talk about race or you shouldn't talk about it. not that you can't. You can do whatever you want, but you shouldn't really talk about it. So when you have those those moments in which you're really struggling to keep yourself together it's mm-hmm. important to take some time to either find community or to talk to somebody or to even just take yourself to take some time to isolate yourself to feel a little bit more safe or protected mm-hmm. so here's the fun part this is what it allowed me to do in work once i started doing the work outside once i kind of got the idea going of me and the team started pushing this movement it became a situation where are you guys familiar with Kende Wally? Yes. Uh, the painter. So he mm-hmm. talks about all the time, like creating these beautiful images of just black and brown people or marginalized people to invite people to conversation. And the reason we ended up calling this thing like words on white because we always wanted to be able to invite somebody. And then that white part came in, obviously, because of our fair skin counterparts, but also because of Canvas when we first get it is white. So it becomes you working on this thing, expressing on this thing until it comes out. It's something that we can all mutually appreciate. So once I was able to start doing this stuff, processing the thoughts for myself and helping other people to process, it became this beautiful conversation, you know, every couple of weeks of 
hey, what'd you do this weekend? I'll talk about how black people died. <laughs> <laughs> so, and people and people would just like the shock value of it, like it, it would draw people in, like, oh, I was in the park, or I was on like this community thing, or I was on such and such. And you start getting those people like, really? Oh my God, I'm so interested. And what was the cause and what was the movement? Oh, just black people dying. And then people just being like, oh wow, like holy shit, what? <laughs> it just, yeah. It was like, no, how, really, are your, you know? how are your mimosas, Karen? Yeah. I was talking about. Brunch was cool, right? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> and your kids? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's conversations we need to have, and it's very isolating when, I mean, I work in a space where pretty much no one talks to me, but I definitely am mm-hmm. the only woman of, oh, no, there's one woman of color, but she's also the only other woman. So, you know, she doesn't really speak to me either. And we have very different experiences. She's from Singapore. Mm. I'm a New Yorican from Brooklyn. We have very different experiences. So it's, it's isolating when you, A, when no one talks to you, but B, when you have no one to even look over to. Like, mm-hmm. I can't even give somebody like, Ninja, did you see what just happened? Like, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing I can do to build that camaraderie. But that's yeah. awesome. And so what's the, and then bring us into your next, so this is a project. So that what, what you have next is, is ongoing or you've been doing this for a while, the Renaissance. Yeah, Renaissance. so, so Silent Renaissance is like my, my newer baby. We started December, 2017. Got together with a couple of friends and we noticed that, okay, we've been working on all these different social, nonprofit focused advocacy work in terms of like these events, but we realized, okay, we can't just keep bringing people together for, you know, like the philanthropy and like the, oh, rah, rah, what was us? <laughs> Sometimes we do need stuff that's just like uplifting for cultural appreciation. So I got together another team of just different artists, creatives, hustlers, like whoever you want to call them. And then we started doing these like social events. So that's when we really got, well, when I really got a little bit more heavy into curating shows and and actually program in a way that was like arts and culture specific. So making space for for other people. It started very humbly in my apartment. Had about 50 or 60 guests come come out. We had a couple of live painters. We had, I think, one performance. And since then, like we've done maybe like close to 20 or so different events and shows around the city. Mostly in Manhattan, but we, we ventured out to Brooklyn before <laughs> so up and down up and down the island and yeah we try and again create space for visual artists performance artists and whoever else we can like for those people to come in and connect wow so first of all i don't know where you live to have 50 to 60 people in your apartment but that's dope word you would i would have been kicked out <laughs> no, well, i couldn't we, fit that many people in the apartment <laughs> we definitely have had a very strange and beautiful relationship with our so. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> that makes always, sense. It's always a workaround, but you know, we, hey, it, it's been working so far. Awesome. So what's so what's next for? So I know you said you're phasing out words on white, but your baby is Silent Renaissance. What's next for Silent Renaissance? I don't know for sure yet. I have some definitely have some ideas. We we've been struggling with the thought of like how to grow the audience but then how to keep that quality there to where people can come in. And Silent Renaissance started in these very, like, intimate settings. So 
kind of bigger than a kickback, but much smaller than I would think a party that New Yorkers are typically in. Like, it's, it's not like 300, 500 people in here. It's usually tops like 100, 150. And the inspiration behind like why we call it the silent renaissance, well, one was because it started in Harlem. So trying to pay a little bit of homage to those who came before us, right? With the renaissance part. But then the silent part was like, okay, how can we do this like underground, like behind the scene movements to where like, these artists and business people and creatives and just innovators can come together and actually be comfortable being themselves and sharing. And I think I heard one of you guys say peer mentoring earlier, just where that could all flourish. So again, we're we're trying to get big and stay small at the same time. I don't know how that how that works. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I have an app. <laughs> I have an app for that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even lying. Because we recently had basically it was a birthday party. You can help us curate events because me and DJ are just like, hey, having a good time. There was like no hosting. But we mm. did it. We did it and I have a I guess a community center-ish. What do you call this? Rec center? PJ, what would you call this? A lounge. It would it would be a lounge community space. Sure. And not supposed to have people here, but I was like, yeah, by not having people, you mean like 50 people's okay. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't like that. Although we cleaned it up immaculately, but they were not excited about that. But we work with some women who do, they cater events and they were like, well, Mm -hmm. if you need something, if you need something, some space for a few hours, try this app. It's like venue. I can't even explain it. It's like venue, not Airbnb, but you can get like something really cheap. I'm going to send you the app. And you will no longer have to worry about landlords landlords or like, (laughs) you know, I think there's some like insurance based around it because people are just like renting out their space. So let them deal with if someone busts their butt and that's not your problem. But I want to, this is a random question. I don't know why it came to me, but, you know, we always think, when you think artists, you think struggling artists. We mean some people who are not making money with their craft and then there's people who are maybe exploiting <laughs> their craft right mm-hmm. or exploiting people in those artistry spaces do you do anything because you're so financial literate or so financially literate are you doing anything with that space kind of helping people who are who are living off their craft and off their art to kind of like know their worth and how they maybe charge if they do charge for something because I'm sure you are in a, a circle of people who do use their art as a means of mm-hmm. living, surviving, eating, thriving. Mm-hmm. And so, do you have like any whether it's advice or do you do anything around that? Sure. So, in terms of like actual services, I think that was one of the things that made me immediately interested in doing financial literacy because I realized that being around one, like all the quote unquote, like struggling artists and seeing that like people my age, even if they were like corporate professional, like undergrad or finishing up like graduate school, it's like random stuff that people do not. Like I just found out about like 401ks and like the tax limits and what you're actually supposed to do with the matching. When I started asking around, like it was never any of my friends that was giving advice. It would always be, you know, older, fixed in, people at work. So again, started figuring out ways that I could, I figured I'm already curating space. I'm already holding these different events or bringing people together. Why not 
bring them together through something like this. Like, again, I can share the knowledge that I've accumulated. And then on the other side, funny enough, with artists, the one thing that I appreciate way more, and I think people realize, is that with my, because I do finance and art, I get the I get a lot of like the best of both worlds, like the creative thinking and like the very rigorous discipline, organization, timeliness, so on and so forth. A lot of artists that I know that aren't surviving off their craft, a lot of them are not business people. <laughs> so nine times out of ten, I'm always giving out advice about how to, you know, quickly streamline something or to create like standardized pricing or even if it's just like getting a virtual assistant, like knowing that you're not organized and letting somebody help you. So just understanding all those different things because when we think corporate, because it's like so, I think especially for like younger generations, like there's so many negative connotations around it. We end up forgetting all those things that are professional that aren't necessarily specific to working in corporate America. Like it's good to be on time. Or it's really good to respond to that client. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or following up on a receipt or an invoice yeah. or, or, or anything. You know, customer it's service so is important. Strange. Yeah, that no one thinks that way. I mean, so my side hustle, so I do copywriting. I do freelance writing. I do copywriting. I do copy editing. And, like, this conversation in that space is always, like, around deadlines. And I'm like, it's really not that hard to give what you said you were going to give before or at the deadline. <laughs> like, it's really not that hard. And that's a thing that I had to learn. And we even had to learn. I said, DJ, we have two whole jobs, a podcast. You trying to go back to school. I have, like, two other side. You know, we Caribbean. Mm. We doing the most. And the so most. <laughs> I was like, what do you think about this VA? Like you said, you know, I've been an executive assistant. And I was like, it changes lives. Okay, people would not be able to function in their corporate spaces without someone to do that project coordinating, project management, logistics Mm -hmm. life. And it's so nice when you can delegate that and just having frameworks or like just random things that people are like, oh, that's not how I creatively work. And no one says you have to rigidly do that. But at some point, you're going to want to scale or have some things automated, Mm -hmm. especially if it's your money. (laughs) <laughs> like, don't you want to know that money is going to be there? So it's a it's a very interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. But I think that would be dope if you could just teach, you know, artists what to do with that money or like how how to even, yeah, like accounts and, and, and where they should be investing. Like, I feel like we're all kind of lost around that. I mean, it's not just artists. I think it's just the general public. But then when you get into the art stuff, you know, people are like, we're living on a whimsy and living their best lives now and you're like yeah but you do understand when you're 70 and you have like carpal tunnel and you can't (laughs) think anymore you're gonna have to have money coming from somewhere Um, or even better like you know how much easier it is to be creative when you're not hungry (laughs) let's just be practical (laughs) Let's just talk about that. Like when you're not worrying about like okay I have enough for rent and thing and thing too now let me just sit here and you know really think through this next project just free up all that brain space exactly there's so many creators i know that love to live in that space of just urgency and 
the world is always on fire and I have to be doing the thing. It's like, that's great. It, it is like, that's how you work. But again, that has to be like some sustainable part of that. Because I think we all know like the story of like these starving artists that end up making it and never really kind of switch up their game to be a little bit more sustainable. And they end up just burning out. I feel like we talk about so many heavy things we like to switch it up and always end on a positive note although there's a lot nice. of positivity okay, okay. we like to you know keep it a little bit a little more levity in the podcast right. so we have a couple questions that we ask a lot of our guests mm-hmm. so the first question is we are bagels and plantains yeah so if you were a food what food would you be whiskey Interesting. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about this. Whiskey. I don't know if that's technically a food, but food and beverage. What do you mean? Okay, all right. See, the creatives are always changing the parameters of the question. <laughs> always mixing it around. I like it. Explain. Yes. Why whiskey? You know, whiskey is not necessarily medicine, but you can take it for medicinal purposes. It's not whiskey, not for everybody. So it's like if you don't know. Or have like a, a, a taste for it, then it's going it's gonna be like the most disgusting thing. You know, when people say like I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Nah, you could you could still accidentally drink a cup of tea and be okay with it. But if somebody's like dealing with me, it's like no, 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 no. I'm not an easy person to deal with by accident. <laughs> mm, I like yeah. that. So I'm always like, yeah, I'm not. I'm like a cup of whiskey, okay. something very old and and, and stout and just. You know, that's how I feel. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So where is your favorite place to be creative? I don't know. This one's tough. I mean, it depends on what I'm doing. I do, mo- I do most, if not all, of my painting and, and like, visual stuff in, in my apartment. I don't know if I would say it's, it's my favorite as opposed to, like, most practical. <laughs> because it's just here and having all these different, like, projects and, and side houses and stuff. It just makes it the easiest to reach. Outside of that, like I could maybe say a few places I get the most inspiration from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy being outside. Like I love people watching. So as annoying as New York is, it's pretty fun to just sit on the bench and watch how strange people are <laughs> and all their oh, little, so little quirks. And then as much as I can take it out, I like going to museums and galleries just to see what other artists like doing. But the reason why I say as much as I can take it is because after let's say like 30 or 45 minutes and like you seeing something that I really like, I'm like, I can't, I, I need to be home now. I need to be making things so I can get to like that level. So museums, like generally just outdoors, getting some fresh air. And then of course, like the studio, just being in the house. Dope. If you could describe yourself in one word, what would that word be? Whiskey. No, JK, like, JK. Wow. <laughs> that's a drinking problem. He's an uh, artist. It's totally normal. Um, <laughs> Ooh, this is, this one's tough. This one's tough. Agitator. I think that would be, that's the word that comes to mind. Hmm. Like, the what word on my stuff. Agitator. Or agitated. Agitator. Agitated. Okay, that's what I thought like, I heard. One, sure. of, one of the two. Like, when thinking about the words on my story or, Anything that I'm ever doing, like in terms of art or community work or mentoring, I'm always, it's, it always comes from like this itch, you know, like something that's bothering me or that I think is bothering somebody else that I might be able to fix. 
It's always like a problem solution situation. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. That is a key part of the copywriting formula, problem, agitation, solution. <laughs> and you are the agitation. I like that. Cause then yeah. no one will change. No one will look for a solution. You need to agitate. You need to agitate. Yeah, yeah. sometimes like even with, with some of the art, like why I say I like doing black faces and black people and black images, like the show that I'm getting ready to do in the next week, like specifically getting the most black image so I could agitate the space. Like, I, hopefully people like it and it's beautiful and all that stuff, but I'm like, what does it mean to put, like, Nipsey Hustle space in a, in a corporate Wall Street office? Yeah. So people just, yeah, so it's like, I'm an agitator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm agitated and I agitate people and things. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. And the last question is, if there's one thing you want the BNP listeners to know about you that you haven't already shared, what would it be? Could be fun, could be weird, could be anything. <laughs> Could be a shameless plug. You know, of course, all the shameless plugs follow me on Instagram, Rob Newman III. So Rob Newman, there's one thing, what would it be? I would want everybody to know that as much as we just talked about, it really doesn't seem like that much stuff. Like every time you guys ask, like, well, how did this get started? How did that get started? I feel like my answer ends up being more repetitive. It generally just starts with things that I'm interested in. And most of the time, I feel like if people just do the things that they're interested in, we end up having more interesting people and a lot more interesting problems to solve. That was a beautiful note to end on. Yeah, that's it. I mean, mic drop. Right, right? Beautiful. That's <laughs> <perfect. I'm done>. <laughs> <laughs> After all the technical difficulties. <laughs> that's okay. Man. That's our lives. I mean, it's just... We started from the bottom. Now we're here. That's all right. <laughs> And we did it in, in our time. So thank you so much for coming on. This is thank amazing. You You're doing awesome. And I can't wait to see what you turn out next. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. And I'm excited for future podcasts. Got to all my friends about bagels yes. and plantains. Please do spread the word. And people should know where to follow us now. But if you don't, we're at Bagels and Plantains on Instagram. You could find us on any listening platform because we're everywhere. And we do this. Later. Later. Thank you for tuning in to Bagels and Plantains with your girls Deidre and Christina. If you like the flavor we're kicking in your ear and want to know more about upcoming guests, follow us on the gram at Bagels and Plantains. If you want to show us even more love, then don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or drop a little of that coin into the support bucket at our Patreon link below in our show notes so we can keep bringing you the latest and the greatest. Thank you again for tuning in.